0: Welcome to the Dogwood Podcast, a presentation of Dogwood Church. For more information, visit dogwood.church. We hope you enjoy the message. Um, I have a question for you. It's this. Have you ever wondered in life what you're supposed to be doing? I mean, yeah, we, do. we all do. If you think back to, for some of us maybe a little bit longer than others, but think back to your high school days, right? Some of you are there now. Some of you are going, what was that? But, but you think back to your high school days and you think about Maybe some of the decisions you were having to make, whether or not to go on into college or go into the military or join the workforce or learn a skill or something like that. We were thinking through some of those things, or at least hopefully you were thinking through some of those things when you were in high school. Then you go on to college, possibly, and you're, you're, you're studying different things, and you're, you're going, okay, do I like business or do I like teaching or do I like whatever, and you, you take some of those classes, and maybe you change your major five or six times. I mean, you're, you're wanting to to find something that you're going to enjoy Doing that's going to make a difference, and then you kind of come to your your forties, where some people have what at least we in America call the midlife crisis, and I mean that in a good way, where you don't like train wreck your life, but you you start having those thoughts of, is my life really? meaningful? Have I impacted my kids the way that I was hoping to or impacted my spouse the way that I was hoping to? My coworkers? and then as and I don't I don't know what it's like to be much older than 40s but but you get to the to that part of life and you realize that life is getting a little bit shorter and what I'm told is you start thinking back through time that you spent and you you wonder that should I have spent so much time doing X, Y, or Z and instead of done something else? I mean, those are some of the questions that we struggle with sometimes, or at least again, I think that we should wrestle with every once in a while. Well, we come to a passage uh, in our in our in the New Testament in our study through the Gospels. You remember that we are in a series where we're taking Jesus' life as told in the Gospels and we've put them in a chronological order and we're we're walking through. The story of Jesus's life. Well, we come to a passage that helps us, I think, or at least I'm going to pitch to you that it helps us to understand what our purpose and meaning is here, and how we're really to respond to that. And it's, a, it's the passage where Jesus is calling uh, his first disciples. He's calling his first disciples. All right? Um, it's found in Luke chapter five, verses one through eleven. A similar. Uh, story, a similar passage is Mark chapter one verses sixteen through twenty, and then it 's also found in Matthew chapter four verses eighteen through twenty two um, but we 're going to use luke 's account of Jesus calling the first disciples as our primary text, so Luke chapter five verses one through eleven if you 've got a Bible, I want to invite you to turn your Bible there uh, or you know on your smartphone or whatever it is that you 're using, uh, and I want to also let you know that we 're going to do something a little bit different throughout. the the message this morning. If you've been a part of Dogwood for a while, you know that that we typically, on a Sunday morning, we'll give, I don't know, sometimes four or five or six minutes of uninterrupted, unrushed prayer time. And so we're actually taking that prayer time and we're going to intersperse that throughout the message. And and there's a reason for it. It's not because we just wanted to do something different, but there's a couple of questions that I feel like that come from this passage that God wants us to deal with. And I know sometimes when when we leave after a sermon or even after you've given a sermon, you, you leave and you forget. What I mean, like, so I've talked, I've left here, and I go, "Now, what did I even speak on?" Right. So, if I've done that, I'm sure that there's times where people leave here and they go out to lunch and then they forget about things. So, we wanted to give you the gift of time to be able to do some of these questions and at least start doing uh, business with God on these questions. Is that fair? So, it's going to be a little bit different. I hope you can hang with it, um, but just know that when we get to the first prayer time and we say Amen. We're still here, so don't get up and leave. All right. Um, wait at least till the second or third time. Um, Luke chapter five, verses one through eleven, says this: One day, as Jesus was standing by Lake Gennesaret. now let me pause here for just one second and say, this is the same. If you read the other accounts in Mark and Matthew, it says Sea of Galilee. It's all good. It's the same place. This is just a particular region of the Sea of Galilee. So don't freak out and go, oh my gosh, the Bible's wrong and contradicts itself. It doesn't. speaks of the same thing. Luke's just being more specific in his account. All right. So he's standing there with the people crowding around him and listening to the word of God. He saw at the water's edge two boats left there by fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord, I am a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken, and so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on you will catch men. So they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything, and followed him. We go, through this, we go through this passage, I want us to look at Jesus' interaction and really conversation with Peter. Because I believe that Peter models for us. He models for us how you and I, today as followers of Christ, are to respond when God calls and He gives us instructions on how we're to live. So we're going to look at, at, at Peter's response, how he's modeling for us, and then at the end I'm going to share with you what Jesus says here is really all of our purpose, all of our all of our meaning for life is found here in the terms of what we're supposed to be doing. All right? So the first thing is this. Peter models that we need to be willing to go, willing to do whatever Jesus asks us to do or go even when it doesn't make sense or sounds impossible. Look back at verses 4 through 7. Jesus had just gotten finished speaking, and he says, Simon, put out in deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Now we have to remember that Jesus' dad was a man named Joseph. Joseph was a carpenter, and back in those times, you typically learned a skill or a trade based on what your family was doing. Whatever your dad was doing, you typically learned that skill or trade. So Jesus would have been a carpenter, didn't spend his time out on the boats, out on the lakes, learning how to fish. We also have to know that these guys that were out there fishing, they were like professionals. It wasn't me out there at the pond with a little rod and reel. I mean, these were guys that had the right kind of fishing boats. They used nets that drug behind those boats, or they would drag them behind the boats, and they would fish at nighttime so that the fish wouldn't be scared off of the nets. They knew what was going on. These guys were ordinary dudes, all right? They were probably kind of uh, hard people, Almost like if you've ever watched the show The Deadliest Catch or Wicked Tuna, you know those guys that are out there on the fishing boats, the professionals? I mean, they're a little rough around the edges, some of them, right? Well, these guys were probably just like that. And Jesus, who's a carpenter and now a traveling preacher who is teaching, gets into one of their boats. And he teaches, and then he says, Hey, why don't y'all out in deep water and let your nets down for a catch. And I'm sure that Peter and some of the other fishermen probably were at best a little skeptical of what was going to happen here. Maybe they were a little flabbergasted. Maybe they were a little frustrated and thinking inside themselves, who is this guy trying to tell me what to do? Now, why do I think that? Because these were normal, everyday guys. And that's what I think when people try to tell me what to do. How many of you like to be told what to do? Anybody? One person? Okay, All right. yeah, so from Jesus, yeah, we like it, but from other people, it drives me nuts. You're out working in the yard, and your neighbor who has a terrible yard comes by and tells you how to take care of your yard. You're like, dude, shut up. I don't want to listen to you. I got this, even though I hate it. And I don't enjoy it. I don't know what I'm talking about either, but don't tell me what to do. Nobody likes it unless we go to someone who is knowledgeable we've asked for help, right? It's okay then but th- but these guys they say instead of having that reaction at least on the outside again, I think that's probably what's going on on in the inside of them. Peter responds to, uh, to responds to Christ and models for us how we're to respond to Christ, he starts by saying the word master. This is an incredibly important word in this passage. It's very, very significant. He didn't just call Jesus teacher, rabbi. Other people called him teacher and rabbi, good teacher. But he called him master. This is a term that's in, used in the New Testament only by Jesus' followers. And it means lord, person in charge, boss, Peter is acknowledging that Jesus is not just a good teacher, but that he is actually in charge. Then Peter says to him, We've worked hard all night and we haven't caught anything, but because you say so, I will let down the nets. He's saying, Jesus doesn't make any sense. Now's not the time to fish. The time to fish is at nighttime. We've already done that. We hadn't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. Most scholars don't think that Peter's being passive-aggressive. He's simply stating the facts of what's going on. Because you say so leads to the pinnacle decision that Peter and his companions had to make and really that you and I have to make when it comes to Jesus' call. You see this. There is a difference. This isn't in your notes. I didn't write this question down for you. It's really not a question, but it's a statement. I'd encourage you to write it down. There is a difference between being obedient to Christ and His call, and simply going to Jesus for advice. There is a tremendous difference. And we as followers of Christ, we don't have the option to just go to Him and seek advice. You see, when Jesus speaks, we are to respond like Peter did, referring to Master, because you said so, even though it doesn't make sense, I'm going to do what you say. We're guilty sometimes though. I'm guilty sometimes though of simply going to Jesus for advice and when He says something or speaks something or speaks through Scripture, I sometimes go, wow, that sounds too hard. Or wow, that's really inconvenient. I don't want to do that right now and so then I go and do my own thing. As a follower of Christ, we can't afford to do that. We've got to turn from that. We've got to repent from that. You know, I've shared with you a number of stories over the Probably over the past couple of years of getting getting the opportunity to coach my boys in Little League, right? And I love it because I love spending time with my kid. I love I love baseball. I love teaching those kids how to play. Again, they're getting to the spot where they're they're past my knowledge of what it is. And so I look forward to maybe one day coaching with my son Luke and going into a younger group and coaching them again. I love, I just I love being able to do that. I also like it because it gives me sermon illustrations sometimes. So um we'll probably continue to do that. But one of the things that I do right now is I coach first base, right? And so I've always reminded the kid on first base to watch the third base coach because the third base coach and I, we're communicating back and forth and we're, we've strategized a little bit. We know now some of the other catchers in the league. We know if they've got good arms or we know if we're trying to set up another play to do something, right? And so we've, 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 we've told our kids, listen, no matter, what we, when, no matter when we tell you to steal, as soon as that ball leaves the pitcher's hand, you go. And there's been times where our kids kind of stutter a little bit. And I don't do this, but what I want to do is kind of kick them off the base when I'm, when I'm, when I'm there. And I don't, I don't do that when I would, would never really do that. But I've thought about it. Because it's like we've practiced, we've practiced, we've practiced, and we've told you to do this. And, and the, you'll talk to the kid afterwards, and he'll go, well, but coach, I was scared they were going to throw me out. And we say, look, 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 who's the coach? Right? If we tell you to steal and you get thrown out, it's on us, right? That's no fun, steal. They don't like that. But, but, but we'll take that. It's on us. We want you to steal. We're trying to get them to the spot where they'll always do that. They'll listen to the voice of the coach. It's the same way for us as followers of Christ. We've got to be so in tune listening to God's voice that when he speaks, that he doesn't have to kick us off of first base. Does that make sense? We've got to live in obedience, not look at Jesus as someone who just gives us good advice. Peter, even though it made no sense to stick down their nets in the water again after all night of fishing, and now it's daytime, and Jesus has been talking and scaring all the fish away because we know talking scares the fish away. It was a joke. He did it anyway because you say so. It's a miracle. Jesus has power over all creation. He's showing them this, and so we're going to come to the first moment in our morning together where I'm going to ask us to pause and and do something that may be a little bit difficult. Pretend it's just you and God in here. Now we're going to play a little music in the background so that it's not just super silent and you don't hear everybody breathing next to you, right? But pretend it's just you and God. And I want you to ask yourself and ask God the question that's going to be on the screen. The question is this. Lord, is there something that you have called me to do that I have not done? Lord, is there something that you've called me to do that I've not done? And if the answer is yes, then then ask for forgiveness because that's the right thing to do. And then ask him to give you the power and show you the way to begin doing what he's asked you to do. Does that make sense? Yes? Okay, so we're going to pray. And then we're going to keep on with the message. So let's go to the Lord in prayer. Asking this question. Father, we thank You for hearing our prayers. Lord, we thank You that that even when when we mess up and we don't obey You, God, that You still offer forgiveness out of Your tremendous love and Your grace and Your mercy. And we are incredibly grateful for that. But God, I pray that You would help us as individuals and as a church to always hear Your voice and to be people that respond in obedience to Your call, even when it sounds crazy, even when it doesn't make sense. God, help us to follow You. It's in Your Son's name we pray. Amen. Now listen, just as... On the Little League team, I tell my guys, look, if we tell you to steal and you get thrown out, it's on us. We have to leave the results up to God when we, when we act in obedience, right? So we'll, we'll, we'll leave those results to Him. So Peter's first response was one of obedience. But we also learn from the this, this second interaction that he had in the same conversation. You see, when Peter saw the fish that, that, that they caught, he said, wow, we don't have to work anymore for the next few weeks. We can go to the market and sell all of these fish. Or he said, hey, wow, look, we can feed our families now for the next month. We can dry all these fish. No, that's not what he said. What did he say? He's looked at Jesus and he said, Lord, get away from me, for I am a sinful man. His response is absolutely remarkable. He falls at the Lord's knees and says, Get away, because I am a sinful man. Peter's response indicates that he understands, or at least is beginning to understand, that Jesus is God. And his reaction really is the same reaction that we see all throughout people, or all throughout Scripture, when people have interactions with God. One of the scholars that I studied in preparing for this message said this, To get near to God is a very very unpleasant experience. That may sound a little shocking to you because in our culture, in our our world today, at least in America, we've kind of painted God as this pastel Easter colored card where where God's just kind of all lovey-dovey and it's all good. Or we've, We've kind of created this image of God being this grandfather that's in his rocking chair out by the front porch or by the fireplace roasting chestnuts and you can sit down and go talk to him and get advice from him. That's kind of the image that many of us have about who God is. But But if you look throughout Scripture, number one, I do want to remind us that yes, God is a God of love. All right, He does care about us. But God is also a holy and powerful God. And when we look throughout Scripture, we see that as people draw near to God, they're terrified. And they're terrified because they understand who they are. Genesis chapter 32 tells the story of a man named Jacob. This is kind of a weird, tough chapter, and we don't have, I don't have time to go into all of it. I don't even understand all that's in chapter 32. But it's a time where Jacob um, is at a crisis point in his life, and he's trying to make it back to his brother Esau. They had had tension, and, and it was a terrible thing, but, and, and, and Jacob's going back to his brother. Jacob is praying one night, and a man jumps out and begins to wrestle Jacob. And the, the Scripture says that they wrestle all night long. And then, as as it starts to get towards morning, it's not morning yet, Jacob begins to realize that there's something different about this man. Matter of fact, he begins to realize that this man is actually God that he's wrestling with. And so he grabs onto the man and says, I'm not going to let you go. And at that point, the man reaches and simply touches Jacob's hip and dislocates it and makes it so that Jacob cannot walk the same again for the rest of his life. That is how powerful he was Or how that man was, God was. And the man disappears before the sun comes up. Why? Because had Jacob seen the face of the one that he was wrestling, he would have died because it would have been the face of God. God is incredibly powerful. But look at what Job had to say. When he gets close to God, he writes these words. He says, "...I despise myself in dust and ashes." Or the the prophet Isaiah, as he writes in Isaiah chapter 6, he sees God and then he falls down and he says, I feel like I am coming apart. Why do they feel this way? Because when they drew near to God, they realized how sinful they were. And that God is perfect and God is holy. And that in some way, shape, or form needs to make us uncomfortable. Have you ever been somewhere and been totally uncomfortable? Underdressed for the occasion? Anybody ever showed up at like the party and you thought it was like the casual party and you get there and it wasn't the casual party? And you feel awkward, right? I mean some of you don't because you're like, all right, doesn't matter, but but most of us we feel a little awkward there. And and we're ready to leave as soon as we possibly can. We're looking for the first moment that we can exit and do it gracefully. Listen, in a very, very small way, that feeling of uneasiness is the feeling of uneasiness that we should have when we come into the presence of God because He is perfect and holy. And we are sinful people. Now, there's incredible news, and the good news is that, is that in and through Jesus, we can grow close to God. We can, a matter of fact, Scripture says, boldly approach His throne. But it's because of what the work that Jesus has done Not because of the work that you and I do as people. You see, we're not good enough. We don't measure up to God. It's Peter's really modeling for us Jesus' words in Matthew chapter 5 where he says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Pastor Keith spoke on this a little bit a couple of weeks ago when he talked about who really is saved. And he said, listen, the people who are poor in spirit, they're the ones who, who are saved, because they know that they're sunk on their own and they've had to totally put their faith in Christ and Christ alone. Not in anything good that they can do on their own. And what does Jesus say to Peter when He says, go away from me because I'm a sinful person, sinful man? Jesus says, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Jesus is welcoming him into His presence nonetheless. So, we're going to come to the next spot in the sermon. We're going to take a little pause and we're going to pray and the question is going to come up on the screen and it's going to say this. Have I responded to God in humility like Peter or do I feel I bring something to God? Now you have one of two answers here. One answer is yes. I've, I've responded to God in humility. I know that I am a sinful person and that on my own I am sunk. But through Christ I'm not. If that's you, which is probably a good chunk of you in this room, then what I'd like to ask you to do over the next minute and a half is simply take these next few moments and thank God for that and for His salvation. But if you were to look at that and you say, you know what? I've not approached God knowing that I'm a sinful person. And I need to do that. Then the Bible says that you can do that now and you can simply become a follower of Christ by asking God to be your leader, your master, as Peter would have said, and your forgiver your Savior. And you can say those in your own words. So we're going to give you about a minute and a half, two minutes or so. Ask God this question. Have I done this? Have I responded to God in humility? If yes, spend the time thanking Him. If no, ask Him. Ask Him for you. Ask Him to be your master, and your forgiver. Let's pray. So, Father God, again, we thank You for hearing our prayers. For, go, for those of us in this room that spent the last few moments thanking You, God, we do thank You. Help us to never, ever, ever lose sight of what You've done for us. And Lord, for those that maybe for the first time ever asked You to be their leader, their master, their forgiver. God, thank You for them. Thank You that they are now followers of You. And it's in Your Son's name we pray. Amen. Now listen. So kind of in a little timeout moment here. If you prayed and asked God to be your master, your leader, and your forgiver, then there's a communication card that Pastor Chad spoke of earlier. On the back side of that card, there's a box that you can check that says, today I'm becoming a follower of Jesus. Let us know about that because we exist as a church to help people on their journey to following Christ and to growing in that relationship. So let us know about it so that we can help you on that. We'll send you some material, or if you want to talk to somebody, we'll call you or email you, and we'll figure out a way that we can help you on that journey. Peter showed us how to obey. He showed us how to respond in humility. And he also models for us that we are to be fully committed to what God calls us to do, no matter what it is. Be fully committed. Notice that Jesus said to him, don't be afraid. From now on, you're going to be fishers of men. And what do, what do Peter and the others do? They pull their boats on shore, and they leave. They leave things behind, and they go and follow God. Jesus' call to them was to make him the first priority in their lives. We see, actually, they, they fished again. So they didn't give up being fishermen necessarily. How do' I don't know they fished again? Because later on in the New Testament, if you'll read an account where the, those same disciples, they're in the boat, they're out there fishing. Jesus had been crucified. They hadn't seen him yet resurrected. And Jesus is walking along the shoreline as the the, the boats are about 100 yards offshore. Jesus calls out to them and they have a little quick dialogue and they don't know that it's Jesus until Jesus says, put your, your nets down on the other side of the boat. And Peter immediately goes, oh wait, I know who that voice is. I know what he's telling us to do. And he jumps out of the boat and swims to Christ. Jesus is calling them though to put Him first. And on that day they left and they began to follow Him. And follow the Master's teaching. Jesus' call to us is that we make following Him and His commands a priority in our lives. Now, it begs the question, do we as followers of Christ, do we all need to give up our vocational work being a nurse, being a doctor, being a teacher, being a business person? Does that mean we need to give all that up in order to follow Him full-time, daily? No, it doesn't mean that. God's calling some of you who are nurses and doctors and business people and teachers and lawyers and, and whatever else. He's calling you to be Christ to the people that you interact with on a daily basis. But for some of you, He is calling you to serve Him full time. We'll help you there too. Just write that on your, commu- your communication card. Hey look, I want to talk to somebody about what that might look like. We'll help you. If you study the New Testament, Jesus actually told one person that He healed, the demon-possessed man, He told him to go back home. If you look at Paul, a guy who God used to write a chunk of the New Testament, what, how did Paul make his living? He was a tent maker. He still had interaction with people outside of what would have been considered the church world. You see, we are to spend our time, energy, and effort, no matter where we are, no matter how we are in our living, living in obedience to God's call. And so, a question that I want to ask you is going to come up on the screen is this God or Lord, have I made you the number one priority in my life? God, have I made you the number one priority in my life? So, I'm going to give you about a minute about a minute to just do business with God again. Ask this question, God, are you the number one priority in my life? If the answer is yes, then great, wonderful, spend time loving God. If the answer is no, spend some time in confession, praying, saying, God, I'm sorry that that I've disobeyed and you're not the number one priority in my life. Let's pray. Father, help us as individuals and as a church to always put You first in our lives and to always allow You to direct us so that You are the most important. So that You are most important in our lives. God, Help us. Help us. We can't do this on our own. We try to live this way in our own strength. God, we're going to fail and fail and fail. But God, in and through You, You make it possible. God, we thank You. It's in Your Son's name we pray. Amen. We've looked at Peter's responses so far this morning of obedience, of humility, of being fully committed, walking away from what you were doing to go do what God has called you to do. And what is it that God's called them to do? And what is He calling us to do? He's called us to be what? Fishers of men. Fishers of people. This is an incredible metaphor that Jesus has used with these fishermen because they would have understood what he was talking about. You see, they were skilled fishermen. They didn't wake up one day and become skilled fishermen. They they, they got there over time. Someone taught them the signs to look for when fishing, the signs of what's going on in the water, to find out where the schools of fish were. Someone taught them how to watch the weather so that they weren't caught out on the lake when a storm was coming up. Someone taught them about the fish. Which one were good to eat? How to clean them, how to take care of the boats, how to mend the nets and clean the nets and care for the things. Someone taught them how to do that. And Jesus is inviting them into learning how to be fishers of men. Jesus is implying that there's skills here that can that you can learn. One is you just you follow Christ. But he already had modeled for them skill number one, which was this: Jesus simply got into someone's boat, right? You see, as Jesus was walking along that day and He was going to teach, He saw Simon Peter there and He got into Simon Peter's boat and He taught. And then He looked at Simon and Simon, come follow Me. Come be a follower of Jesus. And So the question that for you is, is, as we seek to follow God and we seek to obey Him and we seek to do whatever it takes to follow Him and obey His commands, the question for you is, whose boat are you supposed to get into this week? Whose boat am I supposed to get into? I mean, I challenge you. Pray that prayer. God, show me whose boat I'm supposed to get into to invite into a relationship with You. It's a bold prayer. Because I believe if you pray it, God's going to show you who you are supposed to be interacting with and who you are supposed to be calling into a relationship with Christ. I love the way that Mark chapter 1, verse 17 says it. Again, this is the same account of what we've looked at in Luke chapter. But Mark describes it as saying, come follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. And in some ways, we lose a little bit of the the meaning behind it in our English translation. But if you were to go study this in the Greek language, you would understand that Jesus is saying that this isn't necessarily an instantaneous process of learning how to do this, but I'm going to teach you how to do it. I'm going to teach you how to share your faith. I'm going to teach you how to have meaning and purpose and make a difference in your life so that when you get to the end of your days, you can look back and you will see that you made a difference because many people's lives are now different and transformed because you shared Christ with them. Listen, this is doable. This is doable. Following Jesus and obeying this is something that's doable and at the same time, it's crazy all at the same time. Think about it this way for just a second. Assume for a moment that this morning, that in the two services that will be here on the Dogwood Campus, that there's 800 adults. I know that there's students in the room. I know that there's students in the other building, and I know that there's, there's children over there. But let's just assume there's 800 adults, which is which is probably pretty close to being accurate. Let's assume that 800 adults that are here were followers of Jesus, and that and that we take this call serious to be fishers of men, right? So there's 800 of us. It's represented on the screen. Each person up there represents 100 people, all right? And so let's say that each one of us says, we got this. We understand Jesus' call to be a fisher fisher of men, fisher of people, and so we're going to take that serious, and in the next year we're simply going to lead one person to Christ. That doesn't seem hard, that we could reach, each one of us individually reach one person for Christ. That doesn't sound crazy to me. I hope it doesn't sound crazy to you. What sound, what, where it starts to sound a little crazy is if we actually all do that and then at the end of this year that we're at 1,600 people. Right? But but then follow this on. Let's say that now we have 1,600 people that are followers of Jesus and call Dogwood Church their home. And they we all say again, you know what? We can do that again. We can lead one more person to Christ in another year's time. We can do that. And so then, then at the end of year two, we're at 3,200 people that now know Jesus. And then we say, you know what? We can do that again. We can, we can lead one more person to Christ. That doesn't sound hard. I can lead one person to Christ. I don't, I don't know that I can do 3,200, but I can lead one. We all do it again, and at the end of that year, we're now at 6,400 people. We need a new building probably at that point, or multiple services throughout weekends or throughout the week. We need more space for people to come and worship God. We can do one, right? That shouldn't sound hard to you. That should sound crazy to you. Jesus is calling to do what something that's doable and sound crazy all at the same time. But then we all say we can do it again. At the end of the next year, we would be reaching 12,800 people for Christ. And then we say, you know what, we can do that again. We can all reach one person for Christ. That's not hard. We can do that. 12,000 is hard. But we each can do one. But at the end of another year, we're at 25,600 people. We all do it again in another year and then we're at 51,200 people. That's a lot of people. Lives changed. We do it one more year. Check this out. One more year. We're at 102,400 people. That sounds insane. That sounds crazy. Jesus is calling us to do something that's crazy, but doable. One person. One person. In the next year, year eight, we're at 204,000 people. We're going to stop there because math can go on. Right? But listen, check this out for just a second. In 2010, Fayette County census, or the the U.S. government census in Fayette County, there was 106,000 people, if my memory serves me right. I think that's right, 106,567 people in Fayette County. Now, I know not all of them are lost because there's a lot of great churches in Fayette County. But let's assume for a second they were. If we all said we're going to do something that's doable yet crazy all at the same time, do you realize and understand that somewhere between year seven and year eight, we have won Fayette County to Christ? That's crazy. Now, I know some of you live in Coweta County. Some of you live in South Fulton. Fayette County is just illustration purposes, right? God loves everybody, right? He does. He loves everybody. The world would be different if this church and churches like us started living this way, where we're going to reach someone for Christ, doable, Yet crazy. God's calling us to obey. Even when it doesn't make sense. Even when we start thinking through, God, that sounds really crazy. How are we going to do that? How are we going to care for that many people? I don't know. But God's given us a mission here at Dogwood Church, which is to love God and love people while making more and better followers of Him. God's calling us to do that. He's He's calling you to do that. He's calling me to do that. We can. It's doable. We can do it. It's just one person a year for each one of us this world will look like a different place. Our area will look like a different place. I mean, imagine with me what just this area, how it will be different if there's 106,000 Christ followers that are seeking to obey the Word of God all of their days. Radically different place. God's calling us to do that, and it is doable. Let me ask you to bow your head and close your eyes. As you do that, the band's going to go ahead and come on up on stage so that we can sing in just a few moments. But as we close this time in prayer, another question that I have for you in an attitude of prayer is this. Lord, why not us? Why not? So Lord Jesus, God, I thank You. I thank You for Peter's model of obedience to you in humility, and being fully committed. And God, as crazy as it sounds that we could actually reach this area for you in in, in somewhere between year 7 and 8, as crazy as that sounds, we believe that's what you're calling us to do. To share Christ with people here and around the world. So God, help us to do just that. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Dogwood Podcast. We hope you enjoyed the message. For more information and other sermons, visit dogwood.church. If you'd like to give to Dogwood Church, you can use your smartphone and text keyword DOGWOOD to 779-77 or click the Give link online. You can now download the Dogwood Church app for Apple and Android devices for podcast, video, and more.